This is Check Yourself, a collaborative podcast brought to you by the Community Health Education Center, Check, and it's aimed at helping you live your best life. I'm Leah Burkhart, and today we have Becky Rupert. Becky comes to us with a wide array of knowledge. She's a registered nurse, has a master's degree in psychology, as well as one in community health. While it's obvious throughout the conversation that this is a person well-versed in each of these topics, you wouldn't necessarily know it from her demeanor. She speaks with a lot of humility. The topic we focus on in today's session is resiliency. It's a buzzword, I know. It's circling around and has been for quite a bit lately, and for obvious reasons. But what's distinct about Becky's way of talking about it is that she's Well, she's more of an on-the-ground and holistic thinker. Her advice is pragmatic, and the examples she gives are examples we could easily place ourselves in. I know I at least walked away feeling like I could not just appreciate the information itself, but that I could apply it in real time. And as someone, as a health educator, I really appreciate anyone who has the ability to not just give information. We could all Google information but can do it in a way that is approachable and, as I said before, pragmatic. I hope you walk away with some nuggets that you even maybe want to potentially experiment with. Uh, With that, I bring you Becky Rupert. have Becky Rupert on today. Hi, Becky. Hi, thank you. Absolutely. Thanks so much for coming in. It's my pleasure. Fabulous. Well, I'd love to start with you. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your, like, who you are, your background, and yeah, we'll just start there. Okay. Well, it's great to be here with you. Thank you for asking me to do this. I was born down in Albany, mm-hmm. and um, lived there most of my life, moved up here to Salem in 2005. Mm -hmm. And the entire time I was in Albany, I was commuting back and forth from Albany to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And so depending on what was going on on I-5, it could be kind of interesting at times. But I actually started working here as a junior volunteer in 1975 Mm -hmm. and knew after a very short period of time that I wanted to be a nurse because I would watch the nurses And it was the nurses who had really the most consistent contact with Mm -hmm. the patients. And I saw them make such a difference in people's lives, and I just knew that's what I wanted to do. So I continued in my junior volunteer. I got a job in physical therapy as a transporter. So as you go through the old B building, if you see holes in the walls, they're from me pushing patients on stretchers <laughs> down the hallway. But thankfully, they've been able to remodel that just a little bit. <laughs> but I worked for about four years in physical therapy, and then I went to nursing school and started at Lynn Benton Community College mm-hmm. down in Albany. And then in my between my freshman and my sophomore year, I uh, I worked as a CNA on the neuro floor. Got tons of good experience. God, and I was just wondering, what is CNA for those? Oh, who sorry, know? Um, certified nursing assistant. Excellent. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thanks uh-huh. for clarifying that. Um, sometimes we all talk in medicalese, and people are <laughs> kind of scratching their head, going, "What? What'd she say?" <laughs> um, but anyway, I graduated from nursing school, worked on the neurosurgery floor, um, and then went back to school. Got my bachelor's degree from the University of Portland worked some more, and then went to school, got a master's degree in community health and wellness, Mm. and continued to work, and then I got a master's degree in psychology, (laughs) and continued to work, and I've, I've been here in many different positions, and have learned every step of the way, and feel really privileged to have had some of the experiences that I've had. I've had such a varied background in Mm -hmm. nursing, certainly neurosurgery, but the emergency department, quality review for a short time, 
Um, I worked in marketing and community relations, which I absolutely loved. That was probably one of the mm-hmm. funnest jobs I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Got out of the hospital, got to go to health fairs, met the people, realized that there were community health needs outside the hospital. Mm-hmm. And what a great extension of the hospital that was. People were so appreciative of someone coming out of the hospital to talk with their group or presented a health fair. It was a great experience and I learned so much. I left and went to Marion County Health Department for five years and was the TB coordinator for Marion County. Again, learned a ton. Came back to the hospital and I'm, I'm working in radiation oncology. And um, if for those of you who don't know what we do in radiation oncology, call me. I'll arrange a little <laughs> tour and you can come down and see what we do. We'd love to have you. So I've been here for a number of years and seen a lot of growth and learned a lot of things. You've worn an extraordinary number of hats. I have. I have, but they've all been good. Yes. I'm, you mentioned, so you went from some nursing as part of it and then community health education mm-hmm. and then psychology. Can you tell me about the evolution of that? How, how is it that one went and flowed into the next? Well, I started with a master's degree in psychology, and um, about toward the end of that, I mean, I learned a lot. It was a great experience. But then I found this this master's degree program that focused on community health and wellness. And Mm -hmm. so I put aside the master's in psychology, concentrated on the community health and wellness, and then worked in that arena for a time. And then I I was notified by the original college that I was going to for the psychology degree that I only had one more class. And it's like, just finish it. Just finish up that one class and we'll give you, we'll grant your master's degree. So I finished that up. And I think psychology, it floats through so many elements of our lives. It touches us personally, it touches us spiritually, socially, I mean, there's so many elements. And I think as healthcare workers, whether we are practicing in the role of psychology Uh or not, we all have that ability to help people with their feelings, their thoughts, you know, de-escalating someone who is really maybe very fearful or concerned or, you know, just so worried about things. And certainly helping people with their grief process. You know, we don't have to experience a death to experience grief. We experience a grief reaction any time a major life event comes our way. And I see that, quite frankly, with a lot of our cancer patients that I work with in Mm -hmm. in radiation. Many of them have had fairly healthy lives up until their cancer diagnosis. And with the advent of cancer coming into their life, their life changes. It's not the life that they had. And they want that normal life back so much. And they do go through quite a grieving process with that. And so helping people understand what you're feeling is actually normal. There's nothing wrong with you. And so psychology flows into every aspect of our lives and we have Mm -hmm. tremendous ability to help people sort out those feelings and to to intervene and to normalize what they're feeling. Yeah, and it makes sense as to how then that may have led into some of the work I know you're doing now with resiliency. Mm How did that come to be a highlight in some of the work you do? It actually became a highlight with the advent of COVID. Oh. I was looking at what was going on in the hospital, you know, all of the strategic planning and, and attending to all of the, um, the physical issues related to COVID and then all of the family issues, people not being able to come in and sit with a dying loved one or, you know, just to visit, you know, be that moral support for them. And, you know, it just occurred to me, you know, how 
how stressful that must be not only for our patients and families but certainly for our staff having yeah. to come to work every day and keep your dauber up you know be be upbeat and you know engaged and yet worrying about themselves worrying about their families you know what's going to happen there were so many unknowns going on and so I contacted Shannon over in the marketing department and I said you know I'd really like to be able to post some some support on the daily dose and bless her heart she just helped me and and we ran with it (laughs) So we started posting things that I think, I'm, I'm hopeful that they were helpful mm-hmm. to people. They were a joy to do. And so out of that, I think, came the focus on resiliency. Uh-huh. Because if there was ever a time in our lives that we needed a boost of resiliency, yeah, it's with this COVID. Mm-hmm. And then the wildfires came. Uh-huh. And so resiliency just kind of kept taking one hit after the next. Yeah. And the fatigue that goes with all of that. Mm-hmm. And so then it becomes even more important to have those conversations about resiliency and what can we do to help ourselves, but what can we do to help people around us as well. So the Daily Dose articles were a huge, huge enjoyment for mm-hmm. me to do. And I just have to commend Shannon Prem in marketing for allowing me to to participate in that because it helped my resiliency as well. Nice. Well, so if you were, because I feel like that's a word that gets used quite a bit. You know, you'll see TED Talks about it. There are books coming out about it. Mm -hmm. And for obvious reasons, Mm -hmm. we're we're hungry for it. Mm -hmm. But if you sit someone down and actually ask, okay, yeah, that's nice, but what exactly is resiliency? Uh-huh. It's remarkable how often it is the case that the individual in question has to pause and go, well, it's almost like the definition of obscenity. It's like, yes. well, I don't know what that is, but I'll know it when I see it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but how would you describe resiliency if you were asked? I think I tend to look at things in simplistic Mm-hmm. in a simplistic way. So for me, when I was thinking about resiliency and how I would define resiliency, the one that really rang true for me was resiliency is our ability to spring back. Mm. Being resilient doesn't mean that our lives are going to not be touched by mm-hmm. grief, disaster, horrible life's events. Mm-hmm. But it's in practicing resiliency mm-hmm. that we're able to bounce back. Ah. So that would be my definition mm-hmm. of resiliency, and that really just speaks to me. Yeah. Well, and I'm thinking too about the challenge because you know, as you were describing some of what folks were facing, both patients as well as the nurses themselves, or all healthcare providers, mm-hmm. it really is <clears throat> kind of it's human beings when they're in pain their go-to for most of us is to want to connect mm-hmm. either if you're the person experiencing pain you you want to know that there's someone you can express that vulnerability to and feel mm-hmm. safe mm-hmm. and if you're the person who's seeing a loved one in pain you want to reach out either physically absolutely or at least be in some kind of physical proximity and so you know I almost feel like war times are in some ways easier because at least there's that that desire, the longing, the urge, the primal need to be together Mm -hmm. is given a a pass, a green light. I guess let's bend together as one. (laughs) But with COVID, it's, yes, we're going to do this really hard thing. And also every inclination you have to, to want to connect with another human, you have to cut that. You have to sever it. That has to be extremely painful. It is hard, and anybody who knows me knows that I love to hug people. Mm-hmm. And so when I see someone in pain or when I see someone you know, emotionally in pain, spiritually in pain, mm-hmm. physically in pain, my inclination is to reach out and touch them, mm-hmm. to, to connect, mm-hmm. to hug them. Well, COVID, we can't do that (laughs) you know we have to socially distance and so it goes against everything that by nature we really want to do yeah yeah absolutely 
What are some of the tools that you shared on the Daily Dose or, or that you found to be helpful for people given these very unique times mm-hmm. and, and constraints? Mm-hmm. I think for me, one of the things that helps me with my own personal resiliency are quotes. Ah. I love positive quotes. Uh-huh. And I have them around my desk and mm-hmm. I, I um, recycle them from time <laughs> to time. But I happen to be looking through the Sundance Catalog. And for those of you who don't know what the Sundance Catalog is, it was founded by Robert Redford, and it goes back to his movie with um, Paul Newman, Butch Cassidy, and the Sundance Kid. And so he named his catalog Sundance. And in his catalog, there's this wonderful quote. Unfortunately, it's not attributed to anyone, but I really like it, and so I'm going to share it with you. This is the beginning of a new day. You have been given this day to use as you will. You can waste it or use it for good. What you do today is important because you are exchanging a day of your life for it. When tomorrow comes, this day will be gone forever. In its place is something that you've left behind, so let it be something good. And I love that because it's just such a wonderful encapsulation of how we should live our lives and how we should live each day. Mm-hmm. Doing something good mm-hmm. and doing it not only for ourselves, but for everyone around us. Yeah. So it, I love that quote. It reminds me of Thomas Paine's quote, uh, my country is the world and my religion is to do good. Yes, yeah. yes, it is. Another quote that that really speaks to me, because again, people who know me tend to know me as someone who's a chronic worrier, (laughs) which I'm trying to overcome that, by the way. (laughs) You and me both. (laughs) Yeah, worry, it's it's great. Worrying about today empties tomorrow of its strength. Mm. And so for me, that's a huge, huge quote, because I do tend to worry about things. And so if I just take some deep breaths and I think about that quote, I'm ultimately going to have more strength to deal with with today, mm-hmm. but I'll also have strength to deal with what may come tomorrow as yeah. well. So yeah. get yourself some good quotes. <laughs> Excellent. You know, it's and it's interesting. I was speaking with a man. Uh, he's, you know how sometimes you meet people that just have so much wisdom, and you think, oh, just if let only me, I yeah. could absorb. Yes, that. let me absorb it via osmosis <laughs> yes, or something. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, as we were talking, he said, you know, so many people focus on the external, Mm -hmm. like it's out there. If I fix all of those things out there, then what's happening to me in here will improve. And not to say that that isn't sometimes the case. Sometimes it really is true that there's a part of our environment that when we change it, there's this extraordinary amount of relief, not to knock that at all. But he said, healing is really about changing our orientation. So that it stops being, I'm going to look for it, the it being relief or joy or anything positive. I'm going to look for it out there. Mm -hmm. I'm going to look outside of myself. And when you change that orientation to, I'm going to work on building capacity in here, Mm -hmm. in myself. And as an example, you know, when we prioritize our sleep, when I prioritize self-care, when I prioritize all of these things, somehow magically that other stuff that I was preoccupied with gets fixed because if you are well rested problems become workable they do Um, and when you do do take care of yourself all of those things become much more manageable they absolutely do and the whole issue of positive psychology and resiliency is really a choice that we make and we commit to ourselves that we're going to do this because this is really the way we want to live our lives Mm -hmm. And so if you think about a runner who's prepping for a marathon, that runner does not sit home on the sofa eating bags of chips and candy and carbs and all of these things. They commit to that marathon and every fiber within them is committed to running that marathon. Mm -hmm. It's no different with choosing positive psychology or to be resilient. Mm -hmm. You have to commit to that and it's something that each individual has to really want to do. Mm -hmm. It isn't that you need to make huge steps. You can actually start with baby steps. Mm -hmm. You can set a goal for yourself and say today I'm going to choose to do this. Mm -hmm. 
And there's a really interesting exercise, and I've done it before. It can be very enlightening, can give really good insight into ourselves. But just pick a day. Mm -hmm. Pick a day where you're going to decide that everything you encounter, whether it's a sight, a smell, a sound, you're going to attach a negative to Mm -hmm. that. And at the end of the day, just jot down in like one word descriptors how you feel at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. The next day, flip that mm-hmm. and no matter what you encounter, you're going to attach a positive to mm-hmm. it. Doesn't matter what it is, you're going to find something positive about mm-hmm. that and that's what you're going to focus on at that time. And then do the same thing at the end of the day, one word descriptors of how you feel. Mm-hmm. And I think the goal of this is that you will see a vast difference in how you feel mm-hmm. being positive as compared to focusing on the negative. Mm-hmm. And I was reading an article many years ago that said at any given time, the normal functioning adult, 85% of our thoughts are negative. Mm-hmm. And that's just something wrong with that. And that's where positive psychology can mm-hmm. come in. It's such a powerful thing. And it, it focuses, and positive psychology is a simple thing to do. It doesn't have to be this complex, unattainable thing. You don't have to have a degree in psychology to do this. We can all do this, and that's what's great about it. But you have to decide that that's what you want to do, and that's what you want to commit to. And we all have the ability to do that. But positive psychology, the premise of it is it, it is the science of what makes us thrive, mm-hmm. what makes us happy, what makes us joyful, what gives us inspiration, mm-hmm. what gives us compassion. It's all of those wonderful things bundled together. And so we, we make a very conscious decision mm-hmm. that we are going to incorporate positive psychology. Mm -hmm. And there's three main elements, three pillars as they're described with positive psychology. The first pillar is positive experience. Mm -hmm. What do we do in our daily life that gives us positivity? Mm -hmm. What makes our lives joyful? What makes our lives meaningful? Mm -hmm. What gives us our compassion? Mm -hmm. How do we thrive? What gives us joy? The second pillar is our positive traits. Mm -hmm. Who are we? Mm -hmm. Where did we come from? What strengths do we carry from generation to generation? Mm -hmm. What would be our defining trait? Mm -hmm. What would we like our defining trait Mm -hmm. to be? Who are we? What are we giving? What are we doing? And the third pillar is positive institutions. And what that means is that in a positive institution, we are engaged mm-hmm. with, say, the United Way or the Red Cross, or we're volunteering here at the hospital. And by the way, I have to give a shout out to our volunteers. Mm-hmm. It's so good to have them back. And thank <laughs> you all for the great work that you do. But how are we connecting? Mm-hmm. How are we giving back? Mm-hmm. All of those things are put together and make the positive psychology work through those three pillars. Mm -hmm. So I think those things, if we can focus on, you know, just take one thing that we would define for each one of those, and that can give you a really good segue into how you want to live your life, what choices you want to make. Yeah. So it's almost creating an ecosystem. It very much is. Hmm. A little personal ecosystem. (laughs) Absolutely. Is there an example you can think of for each of those, whether it's for you, that's worked for you personally, or Mm -hmm. that maybe another person inspired you to think of it in this way? Well, I can give you a couple of examples of of resiliency um, Mm -hmm. that would would really be founded in connection. Uh One example, there was a recent situation of road rage and the person who was perpetrating the road rage was following this car every turn 
every every side street was just really um, following this car and and running up on the bumper and just really being very aggressive. It was very aggressive road rage. It ended in physicality. It ended in a physical encounter and there were injuries to be had. The police were called and in interviewing the person who had perpetrated the road rage, they admitted to doing this. Mm -hmm. They were somewhat proud of the fact that they had done this. So within minutes of this situation resolving and people going their separate ways and the police finishing up their work, the person who had perpetuated this road rage posted on social media how awful this person was and how mean and ugly they were and how could this happen and really painted themselves as the victim in the situation. Uh Within minutes of that post, people began piling on and they weren't even familiar. They had not been there. They had absolutely no idea of what really had occurred, but yet they were responding to this post by the person who had perpetrated the road rage. And the comments were horrid. They were horrid. They were such things as, well, we need to cancel this person. And just as an aside, I think the whole social media cancel culture, there's some very dangerous aspects in this. The the morality of all of that comes into play. It's very morally compromised. But people were jumping on. They were saying things, they were documenting things like, well, we just need to go to their house and burn their house down. We need to go after their children. We need to find out where they work and picket their place of work. Hmm. I mean, it was absolutely some of the most horrific things. But circling back to resiliency, the people that were the true victims in this situation, they did not respond to the posts. And it would have been very easy to do. Mm -hmm. But they grew together as a family. Their faith, on which they relied very heavily, increased. Friends, true friends, came out of the woodwork and were supporting them. And it all had a wonderful ending. So it did have a good ending. But the resiliency that this family chose in this situation got them through one of the darkest times in their lives. And it would have been very easy for them to jump on social media Mm -hmm. and respond, but they didn't do that. Mm -hmm. And that's such a credit to them. But they had a lifetime of positive psychology. They Mm -hmm. had a lifetime of incorporating those things into their family their faith, the institutions, their volunteerism, Mm -hmm. the things that they did for their family but also for their community led them out of this darkness into a light-filled situation. Mm -hmm. So my hat's off to them. I mean, what a horrible situation to find yourself in. But we also hope out of this that the person who perpetrated the road rage learned some things as well. Mm -hmm. We need to remember that aspect of Mm -hmm. it as well. Not not condemning, but you know, how would we help someone in Mm -hmm. a situation like that? How could our practice of positive psychology and resilience reach out to someone who so desperately needed those elements in their lives to really turn their life around as well? Yeah, it's the uh, analogy that's coming to my mind right now is that of an immune system. It's, Very much so. It's sort of like, you know, we are, all of us is exposed to any number of pathogens at any given time. Exactly. And some of us, and that's not to say, and we'll get, I'll get to this, the whole shadow side of this whole philosophy in a second, but it's not, it's not that it, we, some of us don't get exposed and some of us do. It's, well, what is the constitution that we're walking around in our environment with? Mm-hmm. Do we have... A robust immune system in the emotional sense so that when these horrific things happen our capacity to withstand it and even 
become stronger from it is intact. Exactly. That's versus. a wonderful analogy. That's exactly what it li- is like. Mm-hmm. If you think about the dark things that happen in mm-hmm. our lives, it's like being assaulted by an infection. And mm-hmm. what happens when you have an infection? Your body systems come together and they mm-hmm. fight that infection. And so it should be no different when we need that emotional support as mm-hmm. well to fight off whatever is the dark time in yeah. our life. So that's a perfect analogy. Lovely. Well, and I know with an immune system, you know, as a health educator, I spend a lot of time when people say, oh, well, what is it that helps an immune system? And, and of course, you know, it's like, well, getting a lot of sleep will help your immune exactly. system. And getting a lot of, you know, eating fruits and vegetables will help your immune system fit, you know, fitness, getting, moving your body. So those are things that if I'm using that as an analogy, the Mm -hmm. immune system, I know are helpful. Again, they're not, you know, there are plenty of people who do all of the quote unquote right things and still get sick. So it's not a sales save. But but the thing is with that, and that brings up a good point. When you have that resiliency muscle Mm -hmm. built up, when those things come along, your body and your mind and your spirit are in a much better place to deal with them. Mm -hmm. So laying that foundation of positivity and resiliency and doing all of the things that Mm -hmm. help foster and promote that, it's going to get you over that emotional infection Mm -hmm. even quicker. You're going to be in a much better place to deal with it. Gotcha. And so then if you know, much like I said, well, here are some things I know are helpful to an immune system in the tangible sense. What are some tangible things? Like if someone was coming to you and says, positive psychology sounds awesome. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what that is. (laughs) I mean, I get that. I know what positive is. I know what psychology is, but what does it mean to practice it? What are practices Mm -hmm. that you might say, here are some examples? Mm -hmm. All of the things really that we've just talked about, Um, you know, making better food choices, Hmm. Um, sleeping, Mm -hmm. you know, getting enough sleep, hydrating, Hmm. Um, you know, doing some activity. Now, there is no way on earth I'm going to run a marathon. (laughs) But when I have a difficult day Mm -hmm. at work, I can, and it's lovely weather, I can get outside and walk around the building. Mm -hmm. I can do that instead of going and getting like a 10,000 calorie latte. Mm -hmm. So making those choices, they're very easy to make. And for all of us, that's gonna be just a little bit different. Mm -hmm. But we can do those things and make those choices and ultimately feel better. And that exercise that we talked about earlier, having a day where you you choose to respond negatively and Mm -hmm. then seeing how you feel Uh at the end of the day. Flipping that and the next day choosing to be positive no matter what comes your way, finding the single positive in it. Mm-hmm. And how do you feel at the end of that day? And which one of those days would you choose? Mm-hmm. How do you want to live your life? How do you want to role model for other people? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have difficult times. It just means we want ourselves centered and we want ourselves to be able to respond to those things mm-hmm. in the best possible way. Yeah. Um, the next thought that's coming to my mind is sort of the, I, I don't know about your experience in talking to people about these subjects, but it's come to me at least where there are people who will, it's like the upside to being a health coach or being a health educator mm-hmm. is that I feel like I'm, I'm helping to give people some power back mm-hmm. and say, you know, you are not in control of the world, certainly. But you do have a little bit of influence exactly. on how you're going to be able to navigate it. And that's all great. Mm-hmm. I think the shadow side that I'm starting to see glimpses of, though, is when people are in pain or when mm-hmm. they're suffering, there's a tendency for the, there to be some shame and blame where, oh, are you depressed? Are you angry? Are you sick? Are you, you know, dealing with anxiety or whatever it might happen to be? well, you just haven't meditated enough or you need to turn right. that frown upside down. Right, or you need to, right. And it's, it can feel like, oh, I'm not entitled to just be in pain for a minute. Is that what you're trying to say? And so how do you help people like, when people, and again, I don't know how much experience you've had with mm-hmm. that, but what might you say to someone who's just like, I, I understand that I need to put a positive spin on it. But you know what? Today I'm really tired and I just had a bad day. Can mm-hmm. I just please have had a bad day? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
one of my positions at the hospital years ago was in the palliative care program. Mm -hmm. And palliative care is a wonderful program that works with patients and families mm -hmm. to make their lives better. Mm -hmm. We don't come in and tell them how to do that, mm -hmm. but we, we help coach and we find out what's important to the patient. And we find out, you know, what are your goals? What would you like to do? Where would you like to be? And letting them know you do have some choices. And just, I think sometimes offering people that, that statement of you have some choices. You yeah. know? And if you need to have a bad day today, have your bad day. You know, we're human. That is our human condition. Mm -hmm. But then at the end of that, what, what are you going to do to help pull yourself through this? Mm -hmm. What gives you your strength? What gives you your vitality? We're not telling them, but we're helping them discover that mm -hmm. for themselves or to really revisit that or, or come back home to where that comfort is for them. Mm -hmm. So helping people understand what their goals are. What do you want out of this situation? And a lot of times I would hear patients say, you know, I want quality. Mm -hmm. I would rather have 30 minutes of quality than six months of quantity. Uh -huh. And so, okay, so how can we help you get there? What do you need from us to help you get there? Mm -hmm. And then we have this discussion, much like we're having today. What can we do to help you, mm -hmm. to help foster that? What, what do you need from us? Mm -hmm. We're not telling them, but we're helping. We're, we're facilitating. Mm -hmm. We're helping them get to that point that they want to be without our own personal judgments <laughs> creeping into it. Yeah. Because what might be a goal of theirs may not be a goal for mm -hmm. me, but it's not about me. Uh-huh. It's about them. How can I help get them where they need to be and support them and support their family mm -hmm. through that? Sometimes it can be, with the patient's permission, kind of running interference between the patient and maybe family members who who want, you know, all of this resuscitation. They want, you know, CPR. They want a ventilator. They want you know, the IVs, the tube feedings. Mm -hmm. um, but that's maybe not what the patient wants mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. And so having these conversations and with the permission of the patient, mm -hmm. you know, advocating for them and very gently approaching this with the family, mm -hmm. you know, focusing on the love that they have for the patient and you know the fact that they want the good for yeah. the patient but then also helping them to maybe start to think you know maybe the good for this patient isn't necessarily what you want mm -hmm. but it's what the patient wants it's like you're being their co-pilot as opposed to the pilot and you're exactly. saying, you know, you tell me where you want to go. I've got maps over here. I can help you navigate. I've got some tools. I've yeah. got a toolkit <laughs> over here. I can, I can help you. And then that. at the same time, you're sort of reminding those around that driver that, you know, hey, kids in the back or family members who would love to be in the driver's seat, you're not in the driver's seat. And um, you do that gently and tactfully and patiently. Yeah. Um, sometimes patients want to be present. And sometimes they don't. They just don't have the physical stamina yeah. to go through this conversation. But you have their permission to be their advocate and yeah. to, to um, hopefully bring some insight mm -hmm. for the family. You know? And then giving them time to kind of absorb all of that. And not having the expectation that decisions are going to be made, you know, like now. <laughs> Yeah. People need time to really reflect on that. And we're no different. I mean, when we're confronted with a difficult circumstance, we need time to reflect mm -hmm. on what's going on and wh where we want to be mm -hmm. and how am I going to get there. Yeah. And it sounds like 
where you're, what you're describing is that there's a connection between capacity and resiliency. Mm-hmm. So like if you're having this conversation with someone to help them build more resiliency or to feel like they can, they can bring forth resiliency, it's okay, well, first, let me take your temperature. What is your capacity right now? Mm-hmm. How are you feeling and how do you want me to partner with you? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you want that to look like? Because mm-hmm. maybe some days it's, I need you to go away. Like, I'm sending you off with love, and thank you for your help. I need a minute. <laughs> I just need some space. I yeah. need some time, you yeah. know. And I think I think when we role model that for patients, they may be feeling really weak and really insufficient, mm-hmm. but they see someone who is acting on their behalf as their advocate, and that strengthens them, yeah. too. And so I think... We impact people in ways that sometimes we're not even aware of. Yes, that modeling. There's uh, an author that I I just love her to pieces. You know, sometimes you read someone's yes. work and you think, oh, you can't you wait can... for the next book. Yes, <laughs> and this particular author is Glennon Doyle. I don't know if you've heard of that author. Yes, I have. Uh, okay, so she talked about as a mom. She spent a lot of time, especially with her kids when they were very very young. Mm-hmm. Like anytime they were afraid or you know feeling miserable. Oh, honey, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And one day she realizes, I'm lying to my child. Uh It might not not be okay. It might not be okay. Like Mm -hmm. I'm I'm sitting here and she's going to be an adult at some point and look back at me and think, my mom couldn't be real with me. And so she switched what she was saying to them is, I know it's hard, baby, but you know what? We can do hard things. And that takes it and you know when you're talking about these interactions with folks right it's sort of it seems like resiliency isn't so much about don't worry it'll be okay it's not optimism it's you're absolutely right this is really hard Uh and you know what you can do hard things and we can get through this together yes you know I will be right here by your side Mm -hmm. absolutely and that brings to a wonderful segue about how can we foster resiliency and positive psychology with our children. Mm. There are seven C's of building resiliency in children. The first one is competence. Mm -hmm. Children, I think, want to do the right thing. They want to succeed. And as adults, that's our goal, is to help a child succeed. And to really praise them when they do succeed, but also to pick them up and lift them up when they don't succeed. Mm -hmm. And to let them know that it's okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Here's what we learned. And this is a good thing. Mm -hmm. This is a very good thing. So competence is the first C. Mm -hmm. Confidence. Children need that sense of confidence in order to be resilient. And that builds on succeeding. Uh But it also builds on perhaps not succeeding, but keep trying. Uh Grit. Keep trying. It's that grit that helps us get there. Connection. And I am so glad that the schools are opening back up and that children are now able to connect with their peers. It's very hard, hard for a child to feel a connection over a computer. It's a very sterile, a very cold way to try and connect with Mm -hmm. your teacher. We need that personal connection. We need to actually see people and be in the same environment. And being in connection and being in that same environment helps a child build that confidence and that competency. Mm -hmm. It all goes together. Character. Mm -hmm. Children, I think, for the most part, really want to do the right thing. Uh They want to know what their boundaries are. They want to know right from wrong. And so helping children learn what's right. Mm -hmm. And all of those things, they just kind of, it's like a layer of an onion. It just kind of keeps peeling and peeling and peeling. So you've got competency, confidence, connection, character. Contribution is is the uh, fifth C. Contributions, and this goes back to those pillars Mm -hmm. of positive psychology. Remember we said that the third pillar was positive institutions. Uh Connectivity is how do we 
help our children learn to connect. Uh You're not an island unto yourself. There are people around you who have needs. Mm -hmm. What can we do to help those children reach out and and help others? Mm -hmm. How can they can contribute? How can they um, make a difference in Mm -hmm. someone else's lives and at the same time make a huge difference in their own life and build on that personal resiliency. Coping. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about that horrific road rage. You know, obviously the person who perpetrated that had very few coping mechanisms, and the one that they did have was really maladaptive. That's just not going to work. <laughs> yeah. But teaching children positive coping mm-hmm. strategies. You can come to me and we can talk about anything. Mm-hmm. Nothing is off limits. You can tell me how you're feeling. You can tell me if you're feeling bad or if you're feeling good. I'm right here with you. I am am going to walk with you in this journey. Mm -hmm. How can we turn this into a positive? Mm -hmm. So modeling that for our children is very important. And control. I think young people... We all want a measure of control. Mm -hmm. And I see in some of our cancer patients who have been given a diagnosis of like a stage four cancer, I just need some control. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, all all of these things are coming at me and I just need some control. How can I control this? And often we're not gonna be able to do anything about controlling necessarily the tumor but we can learn some techniques to help us take control of how we're going to respond to this. We can't do this, but we can do this. And so helping patients find those ways of taking control. And that may be in expressive writing where they journal their feelings. Mm -hmm. It may be in having an empty chair conversation Mm -hmm. with someone. It may be something that they need to forgive in another person that they've carried within them. I can't move on until I make peace with this situation. And that's where our chaplains are so great. They are just amazing. I can't say enough good things about our hospital chaplains. And they do it with such grace and such humility that helping people find that control, find what they need to do, the work that we all need to do Mm -hmm. in living. So the seven C's, again, (laughs) competence, confidence, connection, character, contribution, coping, and control. Mm -hmm. If we can focus on those things with our children and even ourselves, we're going to get to that much-needed resiliency. Yeah, and kind of, you know, as you're saying that that's helpful for children, I'm sitting here going, yeah, that'd be helpful for me. Oh, and that too, and that too. (laughs) Yeah, and when I was thinking about this interview, I was thinking, oh, that would be so helpful right now. (laughs) So I'm, like, incorporating these things into my own life as well. Because even though you know them, Mm -hmm. it's good to have those reminders Yes, and I think, you know, you used the word humility when you were talking about chaplains, yes. or our chaplains here, yeah. and I, uh, the words that are coming to mind are beginner's mind, you know, the mm-hmm. willingness to see that we are all feeling our way through the dark on this one, we and, are. you know, when we're trying to cultivate resiliency, having a little bit of that humility um, and that sense of beginner's mind. Exactly. Of, I don't need to be an expert. It's progress. It's not perfection. Yes. So it's a progressive activity, you know, and I think sometimes for those of us who have like that perfectionist mentality, mm-hmm. that's another thing I'm working on, <laughs> but it's, it's giving yourself the grace, mm-hmm. you know, to maybe not achieving resiliency on a certain day. We're human. We have that human condition. Things are going to come at us from a multitude of sources, mm-hmm. but if we're able to have in our toolbox those things that give us resiliency, it's like, oh, I need to go to my toolbox. Mm-hmm. I've got to pull those things out and re-examine them. And so, you know, putting this presentation together, it really allowed me to pull out some of my own positivity and my own resiliency and think, 
I need to do that. So incorporating those things and just giving yourself the grace of, of knowing that it is not perfection, but it's progress. Yeah. And I'm thinking too of yeah, it, this, the story, I, I think it's a Buddhist like parable or story, but it's, uh, you know, a, a man who has a family and a farm and he's, you know, he's blessed with a child. And they say, congratulations. And he says, maybe. And then the child ends up getting sick. And they go, oh, I'm so sorry. And he says, well, maybe. But it turns out that the injury that the child got uh, makes it so that when all of the children are going to, these are young men and women now are going to be drafted into the military. Right. That boy can't go. You must be so thrilled that he's going to be here with the fit. Maybe. And so there's just one after another. It's mm-hmm. a positive. It's a negative. It's a positive. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And the whole way through, he just keeps saying, maybe. maybe. Yeah. And it's so what was impactful about that for me is the sense of, oh, right, things are constantly happening. Mm-hmm. And I do, it's sort of like there's the situation itself, whether that's a diagnosis or it's a road rage incident or whatever it might happen to be. Whatever might come across your path. Yeah. And then there's how you manage it. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'm looking at my toolkit. What can I do to, you know, keep myself okay here? And then there's our relationship to it. You know, that right. sense of... How do I relate to this in a way that makes me the hero of this story? Um, you know, no one wants to read the book about the person who was given everything. They had a charmed life. They were always happy. And then they rode off into the sunset and they're jubilant. Like, no one, it's good for them if you have that life. Right. I'm not saying, you know, right. poo-poo on you. But it's just sort of a, no one wants to read that book. <laughs> like, it's not an interesting book. Right. The books that are compelling for us, the stories that compel us are the ones where, you know, the poor main character was dragged through the mud and in a moment of despair, they mm-hmm. make this pivotal decision that I'm going to persevere and then they right. seize the day. And right. so sort of remembering how to, how can we take the worst moments in our lives and make those our, a part of our hero's tale. Mm-hmm. Well, interesting, here comes another great segue, but one of the best things that I do and I know this just sounds crazy to say that you would enjoy a book about the Holocaust or a movie about the Holocaust horrific time in our history but if you look at the Jewish people in some of these stories the strength that they have is phenomenal Mm-hmm. And there's a wonderful movie, has Kelly Martin. She stars as a young Polish woman named Fusha. And Fusha is just so connected to this Jewish family. She herself is Catholic, but mm-hmm. she is so connected to this Jewish family. It's an extended family for her. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, Warsaw is invaded. The Jews are rounded up into the ghetto. She loses contact with with the family that she's so close to. And they end up going to a concentration camp and a number of the family die in the concentration camp. But Fusha, the title character, ends up taking Jewish people into her home and hiding them in the attic. And it's a very small attic. But she ends up hiding 25 Jewish people in her attic. Meanwhile, there are, there are Nazis everywhere, the SS is everywhere, there's this, this ever-present danger, and yet she responds to the humanitarian need of these people. She feeds them, she clothes them, she cleans for them, mm-hmm. she takes care of them, and her strength really never wavers in this movie. And in the end, they're liberated and you know they go on to become doctors, dentists, lawyers, really such great great people in society. And so the strength, it's a true story and the strength that she has is amazing. Mm-hmm. And whenever I'm having a really what I think is a hard day, mm-hmm. I think about these people, and I think about Fusha, and I think about all of the other characters in these books and in these movies, 
And I think, boy, if they can get through this, <laughs> my little problem is a piece of cake. <laughs> yes. I, I can handle this. And so finding inspiration in, in some unlikely places mm-hmm. sometimes. But, but kind of take that risk because there is inspiration to be had in some unlikely places. Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid to do that. <laughs> yes. And I'm thinking too of the on the other on the flip side of that, it's the like I, I think it was Brittany Brown. I've brought her up a couple of times this week, so it's very interesting. But it was a on the one hand you want perspective, mm-hmm. but on the other hand you still want to have uh, self compassion. Right. And so there's the sense that like perspective is exactly what you're bringing forth now. Like, you, there are times in my day when I think. And then there are times when I think of all of the suffering that's going on in the world, and I think, you know, these are pretty good problems to have. Um, A good friend of mine was with her husband, and they walked into a Bed Bath & Beyond store that was just, it was like their grand opening or Uh something, and they thought, sure, let's just go in there, futz around a little, and they had little eats, eateries, little snacks and goods, and of the things that were presented, there was caviar. And with crackers. Uh-huh. She thought, wow, this is kind of snazzy. And she kept trying to get it on the cracker, but the cracker kept crumbling. Yeah. It wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. And she turned to her husband and she said, sweetheart, these are the right kind of problems to have. Caviar on the wrong type of cracker. Oh, if and only that were as bad as it gets. Well, yeah. And there were some people who expressed frustration. And so after that point, anytime they found themselves frustrated in mm-hmm. a situation that really wasn't that bad. Yeah, in, in yeah. The it was scheme. caviar on the cracker. Yep, you know, it's like, oh, this, this is a caviar on the wrong-shaped cracker kind of problem. <laughs> okay. You know, and I, I, to be honest with you, I see that in, in some of my patients. And as a nurse working with cancer patients, I think I get more from them than they get from me because... Many of them are such an inspiration on how to live. Yeah. And I look at them, and I'm thinking to myself, it really puts perspective on my yes. life. And I've said that to people in our clinic. Mm-hmm. It really puts our lives into perspective, and it certainly does. Yeah. I mean, the other part I want to bring, though, is the the whole part about self-compassion where... Uh, there are days when I get frustrated by things that are on no, on no way, shape, or form are they on the spectrum of something like what right. so, someone from the books that you've described are going through. But they are things that are impacting your world. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a balancing act. It is. On the one hand, it's, okay, how do I have perspective on this? While on the other hand, giving a little bit of space for... It's sort of like you would with a child. Right. You know, it's like, you know what, sweetie, sort of doing the self-talk of, you know what, kiddo... You're tired. You didn't get good sleep last night. So, yeah, these things might not be a big deal, but I'm going to give you a pass today, kiddo. Yeah. It's okay to, you know, you'll get happy in the same pants you were mad in, but you're allowed to be mad for a minute. Right. Go ahead and take it. Right. (laughs) Take your minute. You know, and I don't need to clean all the bathrooms today. You know, maybe I just need to set that aside for the day. Mm -hmm. I know it needs to be done, but there's always tomorrow. And maybe I just need to go out and, and work in my garden, yes. you know, or do something, you know, meaningful for me. That will be there. Yes. But right now I need this. And so giving yourself that grace and that permission is, is huge. Yeah. It's, um, I think it was Bark Brackett who said, okay, he wrote a book called Permission to Feel. Mm-hmm. And it, I'm going to misquote him, I'm sure. But the, the paraphrase of, of his thesis, if you will, is sort of a, you know, to do things well doesn't mean that you feel good all the time. To do things well means that you're allowing yourself to feel all the things. Exactly. All the time. Exactly. You know, and that's our up. human condition. Yeah. This is, and so, you know, in light of all that we've covered. Yes. Like if, let's say someone is sitting next to you and, and sort of, you only had a few minutes with them. I, I like, I, elevator speech is a big one that's used, but you could be on the bus or mm-hmm. it could just be with a patient and you've only got a right. few minutes. And they right. said, if you could just give me one big nugget to take away or one to three, mm-hmm. what would be some of the things you would say in that brief passing about resilience? I would say don't give up mm-hmm. on yourself. It's progress, it's not perfection. Mm-hmm. Resiliency can come to us all. Mm-hmm. It's a commitment that we make to ourselves, and it's actually a gift that we give 
ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I think those would be the things that I would share in that moment or on that elevator or on that (laughs) bus. Excellent. And any other closing statements or thoughts or? Gosh, we've covered so much. (laughs) I guess I would invite people who are listening to this. I hope that you have found it helpful and that you walk away with a little gem that you can incorporate into your life and giving you some things to think about. I know it's given me a lot to think about. But if you, if you listen to this and you have questions, please call me. My office number is 503-814-0455. You may go to voicemail, but I make it my mission in life to call you back. So give me a call. I'm happy to, to help you. I'm happy to listen and to help you find your way. And um, all the best to everyone who's listening to this. Thank you so much, Becky. It was such a pleasure to have you. It's a pleasure to be here. I enjoyed it immensely. Fabulous. Thank you for doing it. My absolute pleasure.